Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 91 of the Snyder Cut. I am your host. I don't have an adjective this week. Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. It was it was a tough holiday weekend, honestly. It was, um, I don't know, I'm struggling with some depression. But you know what? I got the show to cheer me up, and hopefully it'll cheer you guys up, too. A little down in the dumps. So let's just dive right in and start with Fear Street. You want to know my Fear Street credentials? I'll show you. One second. Boom. These are the Fear Street credentials. Boom. If uh, For those of our audio listeners right now, I'm holding up about, I don't know, 20 books or something like that. I don't know where the other half of my books went. I know I had all the Fear Street books. I know I had all like the cheerleaders things and whatnot. Maybe some of them are back in LA. I don't even know. But uh, yes, Fear Street is upon us. It is Fear Street month. We got Fear Street 1994 last week. This week is Fear Street 1978. And next week is 1666. Now I'm not allowed to talk about part three just yet. Um, So I'll have to keep this to like the first two movies where, you know, the embargo has lifted. Um, I think this is a pretty successful little experiment. It, it was a very ambitious plan, you know, and when I first heard it, um, I, I think that they were planning to do one movie a month, like theatrical, theatrically when this was at Fox. I think that they were maybe going to do one in June, July, and August. Uh, and, instead, they just compressed that even more and, and, you know, made it from three months to three weeks. Um, yeah, 1994 got a lot of praise from people, and I didn't love it. I, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, 78 is better. And, and even though I can't say what I think of 66, I will say I think that 94 is the weakest uh, movie in the trilogy. Um, so I was pretty pleased with how everything kind of uh, wrapped up and, and came full circle and whatnot. Um, Lee Janiak, it certainly impressed me. And, and, a, and a big reason for that is like this movie, these movies did not pussyfoot around, uh, which, is sort, which was maybe a little bit of my concern going in. Like they decided to go hard R with this. And yet, and, and so while there are like brutal, brutal moments, like kills that I will not forget anytime soon, there's also some restraint, particularly in 1978 when you're at summer camp and you're dealing with all these little children. I mean, the movie does not shy away from killing kids at all, but it also uh, leaves plenty to the imagination rather than just showing them getting butchered on screen. Um, I, I, I understand like the having like one mythology for, the, for this trilogy. It's all about Sarah Fear and, and tracing her lineage, you know, in Shady Side, going, going back hundreds of years and whatnot. Um, I'm working on something for Collider that'll hopefully hit this weekend. That's like, uh, you know, wh- where could they go with this after this? Could they just do individual book titles? Sure. Um, I'm not sure that there's enough in these, you know, pretty thin books. You know, these are like 150 page books, maybe uh, 180 pages. I don't know if there's quite enough to sustain full movies for many of them, but I think that if you combine some of the, the elements of, of certain books, uh, you could get some pretty interesting movies. So 
stay tuned for, for that article. Um, you know, one thing that I liked about 1978, a little bit more than 74, uh, or sorry, 1994, it was the cast. The cast, uh, I, I just think Sadie Sink, you know, is a better on-screen presence than maybe like a Kiana Madeira, who does a good job throughout this trilogy, but, um, and you know, just like, I like the setting more, having been a summer camp guy myself, although I'm still waiting. Has there been any summer camp, like, uh, not heavyweights, because I guess heavyweights did do it, but like, all these summer camps are co-ed. That's not the summer camp that I went to. There were no girls at summer camp. I, I realized that like, that is summer camp to most people, or, you know, and, and the guys invading the girls' bunks and, and color wars, I mean, but it's just like, no, that, that was not my experience at all. It was all dudes across the board. I'm waiting for that series. Um, Fear Street. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think that this is like a win for Netflix. And I think, I don't know that Netflix actually has the rights to this. I think it's Churn and Entertainment who actually produced these movies. You know, they were, they were made originally for Fox. And then, you know, I wonder if Disney and Fox should have put these on Hulu rather than selling to Netflix. I mean, I don't know if, if that is ultimately how it happened or if Chernin had the ability to take this thing where, wherever it wanted. Um, but the, like, this just seems like a win, like teen horror. Like that's never going to get old. That's why they're rebooting Scream next year. Um, and I know 1994 maybe felt the closest to, to Scream. That was the comp or Friday the 13th is the comp for 78 and the, the Witch is the comp for 66. But uh I don't know. I, 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 I think I'd like to see more of this. And, and I know, you know, Netflix has like stuff with Christopher Pike coming down the, the path, like the Midnight Club and whatnot. I think this stuff is going to be pretty popular. So I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it as long as like it stays true to the, the books and like what they're all about, which is teenagers dying. You know, I don't want to see, I just don't think, I don't hope that these things get watered down, you know, to PG-13. Um, but yeah, let me know more about, like, about Fear Street. If you're a fan, like, because I will talk about Fear Street with anybody. Is there, you know, a, a book or something like that? I mean, shit, I'll, I'll fucking talk about, I guess, what, what I'm working on for Collider. Like, you know, there's the, there's the cheerleaders books, right? The first evil, the second evil, the third evil, the new evil, the evil rises, I mean, that's a no-brainer for an adaptation. I would look at the Silent Night trilogy that, that Arl Stein did. I would look at the four babysitter books that he did. Um, and then, uh, you know, like vacation type of story. So like I, I would do one on the beach and one in the snow. You know, like, a, like you take the ski resort and then I think there's one or two other, um, I don't know, Truth or Dare is sort of set at like a ski luxury condo or whatever. The beach, there's a bunch of them. There's the Dead Lifeguard, Party Summer, Sunburn. So I, I think if you were to combine those similarly themed books, you could come out with a pretty decent movie. So it's like, yeah, I think there's room for improvement with this, this franchise. It didn't, I wasn't, I'm not going to like talk about these movies like they're great or anything, but they were very, very entertaining for what they were. And I think they're going to be a good calling card for, for Lee Janiak, who I, I, I suppose I must now forgive for Honeymoon, which I did not care for. Um, we lost Richard Donner this week. Let me bring up this guy's filmography because it was really quite impressive. Sort of like the, the, the father of the blockbuster superhero movie, right? With, with Superman. 
Um, and I'm not a big Chris Reeve Superman guy. I didn't grow up watching those movies really whatsoever. Um, I don't even know if I've fucking seen the Superman movies. Um, but like, I, I liked his other stuff. Like I'm a huge Goonies guy and he could just make these movies. He can work in so many different genres. That was always Richard Donner's, uh, you know, claim to fame really is like his versatility. Uh, Cause he started out doing the, like the Omen, right? Before Superman. Um, so horror, comic book stuff, the Goonies, which is like big four quadrant, you know, adventure. Then he moves into action with, with you know, the Lethal Weapon movies and stuff. And like along the lines, he's doing interesting, like more emotional, dramatic stuff like The Toy um, and Radio Flyer, which are two movies that I, I really liked as a kid. You know, the mid nineties come and, and he's got like his maverick assassins conspiracy theory thing. So like big kind of fun studio movies. Um, I don't love conspiracy theory, it was okay, but I really like assassins. And I think most people really like Maverick, um, you know, and, and, and you know, by, by the 2000s, yeah, 2003, 2006 timeline, 16 blocks, like it's clear that his, his career has sort of begun to, to peter out. Um, and he was still involved as an EP on, on a whole bunch of other movies. Uh, like the original X-Men, you know, because I think Lauren Schuler Donner produced that stuff. He, he was an EP on X-Men uh, Origins Wolverine, Any Given Sunday. Like he had his, he had his fingers in some interesting pies, Richard Donner. Um, he, I don't think the guy ever really got the credit that he deserves as a director. It's, it's sad that these things often come, you know, posthumously where people finally sit down and really like, just appreciate a, a, a filmmaker's body of work. Um, but yeah, just, you know, I, I was very impressed with the way that he could sort of, he was like a chameleon, just like vacillate between different genres and, and do a little bit of everything. Um, and so Zack Snyder, who took over Superman, right? And did Man of Steel and then Justice League and Batman vs Superman and all that stuff. Uh, he just set up his new movie at Netflix. It's called Rebel Moon. It's an epic sci-fi fantasy film. I'm sure it'll cost $150, $200 million or something like that. The question is, is it worth it to Netflix? And I suppose that, I mean, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to, it's hard to put a number on this stuff. Uh, you know, I think David Poland was saying that like Zack Snyder had sort of found another sucker, which is true to an extent, right? It's like, if, if the Snyder cut had really performed to Warner Brothers and HBO, sorry, HBO Max's expectations, they would have gotten right back into business with him. I don't know that he's ultimately worth uh, the headache just in terms of like the views that his stuff gets or the, or the numbers, you know, the, the box office numbers or whatever. But also just like the online, like, you know, his fans, which, you know, he thinks, I mean, every, every filmmaker wants to have a fan base like Zack Snyder, which is, you know, passionate and, and vocal. And I think that it works in his favor a lot of times, but it can also backfire. So like when Warner Brothers goes to like, look at, the, you know, a piece of news that is completely unrelated to even superheroes. And all the comments are just like, you know, release the air cut or, you know, let Zach do this, let Zach do that. I don't know if I'm an executive at Warner Brothers, I'm just like, oh, these guys are fucking annoying. I don't want to have to deal with them. Just let Zach go off and make, 
you know, movies for Netflix. Like he, he's more trouble than he's worth, which, which may have been the, the, the attitude. Um, you know, this, of course, of course they're cutting the grass at the exact moment of doing this podcast. Um, whatever. First world problems, right? Rebel Moon, though, like started out as a, a, a Snyder's pitch for a Star Wars movie. And this was, I think, even back before Lucasfilm got acquired by Disney. Uh, he's, you know, apparently it morphed over the years. Like he, he worked with the producer Eric Newman to turn it into a TV series and then realized, no, 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 no. The way to do this is a movie. Um, and so, yeah, for, you know, but like why would Netflix do it? Because... I mean, they need they need A-list filmmakers like this, and whether you like it or not, Zack Snyder probably is an A-list filmmaker. Uh, it seems like Army of the Dead performed all right. You know, I don't think it like Netflix wasn't crowing about those numbers, but I think it did enough to to justify the investment, not just in that movie, but the larger universe. You know, because they're doing the German language prequel and they're doing you know an anime series. I mean. I don't know that, that Army of the Dead really warranted that. Uh, Zaxon said that this Rebel Moon project that was was clearly inspired by Star Wars and by the films of Akira Kurosawa. And I don't know, frankly, it sounded better than like anything else he kind of has in development. So yeah, why not? You know, like some may call it a sucker's bet for Netflix, but I just don't know what they're supposed to spend the money on instead. And, and it's tough to, to have that opportunity to get back into business with a filmmaker like Zack Snyder and then just like let him go out the door. Cause like he, he's going to get that made somewhere, you know, whether it's Amazon or Apple, like I feel like a lot of the streamers would, would be eager to be in business with him. And so it, that's almost have to, how you have to look at the costs. Like it's not just, can we afford to do this? It's can we afford to let this go? Um, Matthew Vaughn announced a new project today. It, it has, you know, been leaking out in drips and drabs. I think earlier this month, it, it started out on like the Ronin. They said Matt Vaughn was working on something called Argyle. And then The Observer uh, put out a story yesterday about Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I told, uh, you know, I think I told Brandon uh, Katz, who, who, who broke it over there, the casting stuff, uh, but I heard one of those names and that, and that was Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, the other names that I had heard were Henry Cavill, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, all of whom were included in today's announcement uh, along with, you know, Bryce and Sam Rockwell and Sam Jackson. It's an action, action filler fr uh, franchise, you know, it, it's, it sounds like, you know, Kingsman with a female lead in a, in a, to some extent. Uh, it's, a, it's a hell of a cast. I mean, Cavill, Cranston, Sam Rockwell, Sam Jackson. Like, I mean, I, I really like this. I wonder if Catherine O'Hara will be playing like Bryce Dallas Howard's mother or something like that. Be interesting if she, if she was like a handler, kind of cold-blooded. Um, but I really like Matthew Vaughn. I like that he is in charge of his own destiny over there at Mar Films, just like making what he wants to make and he'll finance it and, you know, work out a distribution arrangement with somebody. Uh, yeah, he's off to a, a, a hell of a start with that cast. Um, okay, this one, I got to break out my notes for this because I don't want to fuck it up. This was a pretty interesting story that kind of got swept under the rug. Um, you know, coming out did a, a couple days before the holiday. 
you know, the holiday weekend is really just like a two week break for, for Hollywood, basically. Um, but yeah, I don't think it like the trades really covered it. This was a Wall Street, uh, Wall Street Journal story from Joe Flint. And it is basically about Ice Cube at war with Warner Brothers over the rights to the Friday franchise. So let's see here. This project has been in the works last Friday, which yes, I, I got it wrong in, in, in a Schmodown match. Um, uh, last Friday has been in the works for like a decade. And everybody, you know, is pointing the finger at each other as, as far as the, uh, as the delays are concerned. Um, and so Ice Cube has sort of demanded the rights to the Friday franchise back. And Warner Brothers has called that demand extortionate saying it won't release the rights to that or any other Ice Cube movies. I mean, Ice Cube, um, I don't know, has, has long seemed like a, like a, a kind of like a pain in the ass to me, uh, as much as I enjoy his presence on, on the big screen. I think he's kind of, I, I kind of always get a, a kick out of Ice Cube, even when I don't. Um, Warner Brothers was saying that, you know, the, the, the scripts haven't been great and um, Ice Cube's like, well, Warner Brothers is a, is a poor steward for the franchise and they're just giving them a shit ton of notes and stuff. Like, this is getting ugly. Do we need another Friday movie? I don't think so. I think that that moment has, has passed. Like, if you're going to do another Friday, reboot it with a young cast or something. I don't need to see fucking Ice Cube chilling on a stoop with Chris Tucker again. Uh... But like, I, you know, where, where does this come from? Like this new empowerment where like artists can just be like, pick a fight with a studio and then say, you know, give me my shit back or you're going to be the villain. Like, uh, okay, Dave, Dave Chappelle may be able to get away with it, right? Yeah. But like, you know, that's like a sketch show, not a movie franchise. And Dave Chappelle is also has like a, I don't know. He 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 has a stage and a, and a platform where he can, you know, talk mad shit. Whereas Ice Cube doesn't necessarily have that. I mean, he has his Twitter and whatnot, but he's he's got to go to the Wall Street Journal for, uh, to, to to voice his displeasure with this whole situation. Um, yeah, what a what a just like a bizarre a bizarre uh, battle here behind the scenes. Ice Cube is said uh, is to be paid more than $11 million by New Line for acting and producing in Last Friday. Is he worth that kind of money? I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, these movies seem to gross like 60, 70 million worldwide. Like these, you know, they don't play overseas. I think Ice Cube has sort of like an inflated sense of self or an inflated sense of this franchise. Um, but yeah, Warner Brothers isn't going down without a fight. They're not just going to give it up, nor should they. It's ridiculous. It's, this is a business. Uh, Variety had an interesting article this week about um, like a, an interesting trend with docuseries and how fewer episodes are, are being ordered these days and how a lot of uh, streamers and whatnot are, are actually posing the question, like, can you do this as a two-hour feature rather than some, you know, extended limited series, miniseries thing that just kind of you know, you, you want to leave them wanting more rather than saying, oh, that was like one or two episodes too long. I'm glad it's over. You know, if there's new episodes added, I, I don't even care. Um, but I thought it was just an interesting thing that Variety sort of noticed and, and talked to people about is that these or the, the number of episode orders is definitely coming down. Uh, Bill Condon doing a Guys and Dolls movie. Again, 
guys and dolls like are, are teenagers in the streets clamoring for this not necessarily but you know you look at the landscape in the heights dear evan hansen west side story okay it's it's inevitable with this sort of revitalization renaissance of musicals you could say that guys and dolls was going to get done it was in the works uh, once upon a time over at fox with channing tatum and, and joseph gordon levitt that fell apart it moved over to tristar which you know has i mean you know they have resources at tristar it's sony owned but it's like i thought that the budgets of those movies were supposed to be a little bit lower i don't know if they'll if this will be like an all white kind of movie or like if they're going to make this about you know black and brown gangsters and gamblers and stuff because that might be an interesting way to go with it um i mean bill condon did a great job with dream girls like bill condon's he's a great hire for this right like the guy wrote chicago he co-wrote the greatest showman he did dream girls and beauty and the beast like the guy he just comes with an incredible kind of musical pedigree um you know, would I have liked, would, would, would I like to see a female filmmaker try their hand at one of these big studio musicals? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, okay, Bill Condon has a great track record, but like, let's give somebody else a chance on, on one of these big musicals, right? And not Julie Taymor, please. Uh, but it's like, if you can get him, you kind of have to get him. And uh, he was taking meetings on, on his next project and just really liked what he heard from TriStar and, and how they envisioned, envisioned the project and I'm sure they, you know, discussed cast. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. It doesn't sound like it's going to be uh, Channing Tatum or Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, who we will be talking about later in the show. Um, but yeah, Guy and Dolls. Sure. Okay. John Boyega. Remember, he dropped out of Rebel Ridge. We've been talking about that on the show the last couple of weeks. It was due to a family issue. Well, let me tell you, folks, he's back on set, already shooting a new indie movie called 892. You know, the, the announcement came out of The Hollywood Reporter. It was sort of positioned as, okay, John Boyega, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter. Um, but John Boyega, you know, bailed on Rebel Ridge. And now he's come in to save this, this project, 892, because it lost Jonathan Majors. Um, I mean, the project doesn't sound nearly as interesting as, as Rebel Ridge and, and working with Jeremy Saulnier, uh, but I think it just also speaks to like the fact that that was kind of bullshit. Like, I mean, it, it, is the family issue, was there really a family issue? Am I an asshole for even asking that question? I, I think it's fair to ask. I'm not calling John Boyega a liar or his, or his representative a liar, but you know, when you look at that Hollywood Reporter story and that, that outlined the reasons uh, that, you know, why he, he left um, Rebel Ridge, like doesn't sound like there was much of a family issue. And the fact that he's back on set doing this new movie kind of backs that up. So I think John Boyega is eventually going to have to address that exit uh, and I think that the time to do that would be sooner rather than later so that, you know, when this 892 movie comes out, he can just point to his, you know, past statements and be like, listen, I already addressed that. And, you know, we're here to talk about it 892 uh, because, yeah, like he's going to get bombarded with those kinds of questions if he doesn't address it before then. Uh, Jamie Bell and Max Minghella teaming up for Turn of the Key, an adaptation of a Ruth Ware haunted house thriller We've gotten so many haunted house movies. I'm just like, ah, this one is, there's a twist though. There's a smart house component to it. 
Uh, these, you know, Jamie Bell and Max Mihala are old pals. They work together on Teen Spirit, and I think one or two other projects as well. Uh, and this is going to be Jamie Bell's screenwriting debut. So, I don't know. The guy's been around since he was uh, just a kid, and in, in Billy Elliot, I think it's it's a, you know it's about time we see what else he can do uh, behind the camera. I know he started branching out beyond acting with you know producing and stuff like that, but. I don't know with, with our, you know, teamed with, with Max, who's teen spirit. I, I really did like, I'm, I'm down to, to, to check this one out. I'll, I'll keep the faith for them. Nick Offerman joined a league of their own series. I don't know if we talked about that last week. This is show taped on Tuesday, but uh, he's going to be taking over. It's not quite the, the Jimmy Dugan role that, that Tom Hanks played in a league of their own. You know, the character has been reconceived and has his own backstory. Oh, excuse me. Um, but he's kind of perfect. Like I can totally see him with just like a team full of, you know, female baseball players doing the whole, there's no crime in baseball thing, maybe coming off a little gruff and, and obnoxious at first, but then proving to be like a good listener, you know, like he was to, to Leslie Nope on Parks and Recreation. Um, yeah. Just really like that casting and surprised that they were either able to keep it under their hat as long as they did or, if, you know, if his casting is actually new, uh, you know, that it came so kind of late in the, in the process. Cause I thought that the show had been filming for quite a while. I guess it's still in production. Uh, I believe on the East coast, Bowen Yang and Joel Kim booster doing a fire Island movie. Uh, I, I had heard of fire Island, but doing, you know, this week doing a little bit more research on it. Yeah. It sounds just like this, this, this gay vacation Mecca. And, and you know, it, it sounds like a real blast. And I think that Bowen Yang is hilarious on, on Saturday Night Live. He was definitely the breakout of the past season. Sorry, I'm playing with my fake rubber hand here. Um, not as familiar with, with Joel Kim Booster's work, but uh, I like the idea of, of a gay Asian led comedy, which, which is over at Searchlight, no less, I believe. And I think, uh, I think that this is being made for Hulu. Like, I think we talked about that last week. That Searchlight has been, you know, like, they're making movies for Hulu now, which is kind of weird. I mean, this company just won Best Picture. And maybe that's why Stephen Gula and Nancy Otley left, is like that, that, that they were told this is the new mandate, that we, we need you to beef up like original Hulu offerings and stuff. Beats me. Co co yeah, cocaine Bear, Elizabeth Banks' movie about a, a big black bear that ingests like 85 pounds of fucking cocaine. Sounds absolutely insane. Love the premise for this movie. And I got an, an interesting cast here too. Ray Liotta, who's, who must know a thing or two about cocaine from uh, Goodfellas, is going to star alongside Alden Ehrenreich, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Carrie Russell, and Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. Yeah, I don't know how well this cast will mesh. It, it kind of feels like very different parts from you know the, the Hollywood ecosphere, but uh, I don't know. Could, could be interesting. I, I just... Like, is this going to be pitched as like an action thriller or like, is this, is this like a comedy? Like, is it tongue in cheek in the way that Snakes on a Plane was where this movie knows how kind of utterly ridiculous it is, even though I believe it happened. It's a true story. Nico Parker joined The Last of Us, I think as Joel's daughter. I'm not familiar with the characters in The Last of Us. Uh, if I was, I may have pushed a little bit harder on this because I emailed HBO on this like, or maybe I didn't even email HBO. Maybe I just emailed the reps like two months ago. Long, long, long time before this broke. Uh, I believe she was in Dumbo and I thought she was good. I like Dumbo more than most people. So 
Isabella Merced as was cast as Juliet in Rosalind with Kath, uh, Catherine Deaver. Yeah, wait, did I say that right? Caitlin Deaver, sorry, I was like, I'm not saying that right. Caitlin Deaver. Um, Isabella Merced is from Instant Family. She's Dora the Explorer. Uh, so she seems perfect for something like this. I'm still very curious who is going to end up being Romeo. Uh, Again, if I heard a name for Romeo, I'd tell you if I did, but I, I, it's not coming to me. Um, but Rosalind, they've been trying to make this movie for like fucking 10 years at least. Uh, I think Caitlin Deaver is a great hire and, and Isabella, Isabella Merced is, is a good uh, co-star. So looking forward to that project. Scott Adkins joining John Wick 4, and, which also brought back Lance Reddick. I think it was kind of a given that, that Lance Reddick uh, would come back. Scott Adkins is a, a, a badass martial artist. I think, what was he in the last time? Um, Doctor Strange, was that it? He was in one of those fucking Marvel movies, I forget. It's it's one of those days, folks. Um, but yeah, he should be able to give John Wick a, a, a decent fight. Kiefer Sutherland, this one had just broke a minute ago, I guess. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland cast as FDR in The First Lady on Showtime. Always love me some Kiefer. Red Notice got a release date. This is the movie with The Rock, Gal Gadot, and Ryan Reynolds. This is, you know, it's a Netflix's most expensive movie ever. It is coming out in mid-November. So before Thanksgiving, and this will be the movie that everybody sort of watches with their family over Thanksgiving. Now, The Irishman, that's like roughly when The Irishman hit. So maybe they're thinking that that is like the best time. Like everybody goes home for Thanksgiving and watches movies then. And maybe they think that Christmas will be a little bit too busy and everyone will be like going to the movies by then or they'll have to compete with those big Christmas tent poles. I don't know. You know, I saw Justin Kroll um, hypothesize on Twitter, just a hunch, uh, not, not sourced or anything like that, that uh, Netflix might be saving its December date for uh, The Gray Man. So I think I spoke about this months ago, but like, you know, there was someone involved in the gray man who put out a Instagram story or whatever saying that the gray man would actually be coming this December. Like that that was the plan at Christmas release. Now I don't know if that's actually going to be the case. I mean, I suppose it could be anything's possible. Um, to me, I, I, if I was Netflix, I would probably hold the, the Gray Man a beat, maybe till next spring. Yeah, like, yeah, excuse me. Like, give it that, um, didn't like Extraction come out in April? Like, the, that, that seems like the right time, April, May, for, for the Gray Man. But it's, it's totally possible that the Red Notice got pushed to November so the Gray Man could come out in December. Netflix better give me a heads up if that's the case, because I did him a, a big favor not, not running that uh, Instagram thing. Uh, Jeff Goldblum joined Search Party Season 5 on HBMX. I don't watch a show. Evil Renewed on Season 3, uh, for Season 3 on Paramount+. Plus. Don't watch a show. Don't have Paramount+. Plus. Uh, all right. Morgan Spector and Felicia Rashad joined this project, Nanny, which is just a horrible bit of timing. Uh, considering Felicia Rashad's reaction to the, the Bill Cosby ruling. Like, <laughs> if I, I can't imagine being that company that just hired Felicia Rashad and then like two days later sees her going online, like basically defending 
Bill Cosby. Like, oh my God. <laughs> just if I was an executive at that company, I'm sure I'd just go white as a sheet. Um, yeah, that Bill Cosby ruling was fucking ridiculous. Like, like, what more does a guy have to do to be put in jail and to stay there? It's wild. Um, all right, we've got a bunch of reviews and trailers and some mailbag questions, but really quickly before, you know, we're about to talk about um, Peacock and, and Dr. Death because my review went up today. Show hits Peacock next week. But uh, my old pal from the rap, Lucas Shaw, who's over at Bloomberg, does a hell of a job over there. He is an essential follow on Twitter. And he was talking about, I think there was actually some report on this, but uh, that Peacock basically only has about, three, there's only 3 million or so paid subscribers. And that's in the past year. So that means that Peacock has signed up fewer people in one year than Disney Plus signed up on its first day. And so it's like, if you're NBC Universal, like how do you keep fucking putting money into this service that nobody is watching? How do you, and, and it's like, even like the Universal movies now are going to be going to Peacock after theaters. Like, this is what happens when everyone, like, is like, we have to have our own thing. We have to control this, control that. And it's like, maybe so from a financial business point of view, you're just selling your own movies to yourself. Uh, and, and I'm sure you're giving yourself favorable deals and terms and all that. But like, does it, if you're an artist, is, is that what you want? Your movie to be fucking debuting on Peacock or something like that? Or, or your show? Like, nobody's watching this stuff. I'm sorry. Like, people can only afford so many streaming services. Like, I am a, you know, I'm an entertainment industry professional. And I can afford more st streaming services. But like, I'm not signing up for Paramount Plus. When am I going to watch Paramount Plus? You know, I, I am lucky enough and, and, and I do, you know, recognize my privilege that I, I am in a position to receive screener links, you know, from streamers and, and stuff like that. So I could maybe go to Paramount Plus and say, hey, can I get, you know, links for the stand or links for the offer with, you know, the Godfather show coming up. But like, do I really need to pay them 10, 15 bucks a month? Like, for what? For what? And, and that's me. And I'm like an obsessive about this stuff. So just think of the average American. Like, they're not going to give a shit. You got to really have top tier programming across the board, not like a new show once a year, like Peacock. Like, so I, I reviewed Dr. Death and I'm about to talk, talk to, you know, review it and, and, and tell you about it and everything. But like, I looked up Peacock's offerings. This is their first drama show since Brave New World which, were, which came out the exact same day last year, July 15th, 2020. Dr. Death, July 15th, 2021. No new drama shows in between then? I get that this is like a, a, a new, you know, fledgling streaming service, right? And you can't just snap your fingers and have shows overnight, but like, it's crazy. It's, why launch without content? Um, anyways, which brings me to Dr. Death. Dr. Death, I loved. That was great. Um, I've read some mixed reviews, you know, saying eh, it doesn't really get into the psychology of Dr. Christopher Dunch and, and explain like the why he did it. You're not going to get the why. These guys are fucking psychopaths, okay? Like not everything. There's not like a, a nice tidy little bow. I've read enough about serial killers behind me uh, <laughs> to know like you, you're just not going to get that kind of stuff. 
the I think I forget what review it was. It may have been I fucking forget. But it's like you know the the what and the how are enough. This show is absolutely chilling. Seriously, it is, and and you guys know me. Like I've seen everything. I've seen a Serbian film. I've seen the sickest shit and read the sickest shit you can fucking imagine. And yet this show, Dr. Death, struck me a little bit differently because it could happen to me. It could happen to anybody. I don't have to be a prostitute who gets in the wrong car, you know, like, you know, with Ted Bundy or something like that. You could just be going in for a routine surgery and you get some fucking nutcase who's going to just butcher you on purpose knows exactly what to do during a procedure and does the exact opposite because who's going to stop him? Not the people in his OR, not the other nurses, not, you know, like that's the thing. And I thought the show does a good job in the last episode, sort of indicting the system. Like this is a systemic failure in which all the hospitals that this guy Dunch was working for, um, you know, basically like overlooked his, his careless mistakes and errors in, in favor of profit. Like he was, putting patients on the table. And, 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 and I think that they said like a good neurosurgeon can, you know, be worth up to $2.4 million in, in medical bills, right. From patients. So if they, if these guys get 400, $500,000 a year, you know, it, it's a good deal for these hospitals, which is why they don't like to, you know, rock the boat too much. Joshua Jackson. And un, I've always thought he was underrated. I liked him on Dawson's Creek. I liked him on the affair. Like he has a certain intensity and yet also this sort of boyish, relatable charm. And, and he was very, very good at, as, as Dunch. I loved Alec Baldwin in this. Him and Christian Slater play the doctors who, who bring down Dr. Death because uh, they have to like basically clean up his, his they, they, they see his handiwork firsthand. Grace Gummer impressed me, uh, Meryl Streep's daughter. Uh, she plays like Dunch's PA slash lover who, who sort of you know, knows what's really up with him. And the guy who really blew me away was this guy, um, Dominic Burgess, an English actor. You've seen him in things before, but he's playing like Chris's best friend here. Uh, you know, kind of like a sweethearted simpleton kind of guy. Um, and eventually he, you know, needs a, a surgery. And he's like, well, you know, there, there's no one I'd rather, you know, do it and, and put my life in their hands than my best friend, Chris. And it, it's just, it was fucking heartbreaking, man. It's, it's crazy to watch. And it really will make you think twice about having surgery ever again. You will get second opinions that you don't even need. Uh, Anna Sophia Robb was good in this. It made me like think like, oh man, maybe she should have played Clarice on, on that show. As much as I liked Rebecca Breeds, I thought Rebecca Breeds did a good job. I don't think anybody could have saved that show, Clarice. So there's something about Anna Sophia Robb that um, I think would make a good little like FBI profile or something on, on some kind of show. Anyway, it's definitely recommend. I gave it, I gave it an A minus. It wasn't like Chernobyl or mayor of East town. you are just like, Oh my God, like this is just fucking undisputed, indisputably great. Um, you know, it, it felt at times like a USA, you know, it, it just has that sheen. Like there's a sheen to an HBO show versus a NBC universal show. Um, but you know, on a pure story level and, and performance wise and everything, I thought it was fantastic. So uh, yeah, I absolutely highly recommend that. Uh, it also has a, a, a small role with Kelsey Grammer, right? He's kind of like the, the 
guy who like sort of instructed Chris in a sense at the University of Tennessee and really liked what he was doing on the research side and, and kind of didn't really concern himself too much with what was happening in the OR. Anyways, the reason I bring up Kelsey Grammer is because Kelsey Grammer's in a new movie called The God Committee, right? In which, you know, it's like there's a heart transplant and the patient, you know, dies before the surgery or whatever, not any doctor death kind of thing. And so, you know, the hospital has this, you know, heart on its hands and it's like, who's going to get it? And so Kelsey Grammer and Julia Stiles and Coleman Domingo and Janine Garofalo and maybe one or two others, uh, you know, have to, they're the God committee for this hospital. If they sit down and say, who is most deserving of this heart? Who's going to, you know, ex- physically be able to accept this heart, right? It's got to be, you know, the, the blood type match. It's got to, you know, be the, the right size, you have to be the right temperament to even go uh, undergo a surgery like that and, and to be able to, I don't know, it was just, it was, it was, it was very, very interesting. Now there's too much of the movie is devoted to like this, there's like flash forwards where Kelsey Grammer, you know, they're outside of the, the God committee room and Kelsey Grammer's trying to like, you know, get investors for his new technology, blah, 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 blah. That stuff sort of drags the movie down a little bit. Um, I think I would probably end up giving this one about two and a half stars, but like, like the movie should have just been like a chamber piece, just like, like masses, like four or five people in a room talking. Um, and so I, I, I think it left a little on the table there, but it, you know what, it was, it was worth watching for one of these, like for a fucking Kelsey Grammer straight to VOD movie, like I thought it was pretty interesting. It just has a really strong, like, morale it's a yeah it's a really good morality it's a good premise uh i saw f9 this week i went to a theater to see it um regretting regretting that choice i mean you have to see these movies on the big screen but like i went to the dedham movie theater i get there there's a power outage throughout the entire complex so no movies tonight so now but i'm determined to see f9 once you're in the the zone of seeing a movie it's like no 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 okay i'm we're gonna recalibrate so I found another theater playing it, you know, 45 minutes later, I drive a half an hour there. I make it just in time, uh, get my snacks, say hello to some teenage girls in the concession line. Not like that, not what you're thinking. I always like to ask people at the movies, what are you here to see? I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Uh, and so I asked these girls, hey girls, what are you, what are you guys gonna see? And they said, oh, Fast and Furious. I'm like, okay, great, I'll see you in there. These girls proceeded to not shut the fuck up the entire movie. It's like the movie movie theaters have just become fucking babysitters. Like parents just drop kids. Like, do the kids even want to be there? They just need a place to go and, and sit alone and talk and, and eat fucking junk food. I was livid. I mean, when I wasn't like half falling asleep, um, I went out and complained to the staff at one point. It was like, either I'm getting a refund or you're telling these girls to shut the fuck up. They threw a rubber ducky at one of them had like little rubber ducky toy. I don't know if they got it out of a little fucking crane game there in the lobby. But all of a sudden, halfway through the movie, I see this object come over the top, lands on in, in the row in front of me. Someone obviously threw it from above. So I picked it up after the screening, went straight to guest services, showed it to them, and I got a, a refund. Of course I got a refund. You know, I'm not, I'm not a stupid consumer. I'm going to speak up. Man, if that, if that fucking rubber ducky had hit me, man. That's assault, brother. 
I mean, we had uh, two weeks of, of discussion in the Boston Globe about the guy who threw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving and missed, by the way, but that's assault. He got, like, booked for assault. Fucking missed. You got to be shitting me. Um, anyways, F9 in the movie, exactly what you're expecting. Just stupidity. Stupidity for an endless, endless runtime. I mean, it was two and a half hours. I, I truly believe Paul Walker would be spinning in his grave if he, if he saw what this fucking franchise has come to. Um, yes, it goes to outer space. Spoiler alert. So, what do you want me to say about this? Uh, but you know what? Honestly, it wasn't even terrible. I can't say that this was like embarrassing like a Wonder Woman 84. It, 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 I go, you know, what the fuck can I say about Fast 9? You're either going to see it or you're not. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to feel good about this one. And of course, being in Massachusetts, it rained the entire holiday weekend. You get out of these movies, you want to get in your car and just fucking rip down the highway. It was pouring so heavily. I almost pulled over on the highway because I couldn't even see the fucking lanes anymore. Man, I'm ready to get out of Massachusetts. You can just tell. It rained over Memorial Day weekend. It rained over Fourth of July weekend. It's just like, am I living in fucking Seattle? The last movie that I watched this week was No Sudden Move, which was fucking confusing. I mean... It was okay. I don't know why everybody's doing cartwheels over this thing. I, I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, they didn't see any Sundance movies and they haven't seen a good movie all year. Uh, believe me, when all of like the, the, you know, best movies of 2021 lists came out because we're halfway through the year, there were, there were some good indies that popped up here and there, but man, the mainstream movies that people were trying to give a pass to, embarrassing. No Sudden Move, good cast. I really liked um, Brendan Fraser. Like people are like, this is like a powerhouse performance for Don Cheadle. Like, no, no, it's not. I thought I just found it neat, fucking convoluted and like needlessly confusing. Um, I really wanted it to work. I really wanted to love this movie. I'm a big fan of Ed Solomon. I just couldn't. I just could not. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, granted, I, I was tired when I watched it. Um, so I, I may have fallen asleep for 15 and 20 or 20 minutes and like woken up. And maybe that's why I was confused. I'm like, what's going on? Who's in, in bed with who? And everybody's double crossing one another. But to be honest, I, I don't think it would have made a difference. I, I, yeah, I woke up in time with enough time left in the movie where I should have been able to piece it together. And I, I don't think I did. Um, yeah. Bunch of trailers this week. Queen pins. Sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fuck, what are these movies? Um, Kristen Bell, Kirby Howell, Baptiste, Paul Walter Hauser, and Vince Vaughn in a coupon comic. It, it, it actually looked okay. It looked, it looked cute enough. I just like... Who is going to pay money to, to watch the, this movie? Like, I don't know. I don't know who's paying to watch half these movies. Lamb from A24 with Numi Rapace. That looked interesting. And Canto from Disney. I, I showed, uh, you know, my, my two-year-old niece that trailer that I watched it with her. She was mesmerized. 
I was like, what is, this is just this, like a very generic story where it's just like, everyone has a gift, but you, and you have to figure out what your gift is. Isn't that like every animated movie basically? Like, oh my God. But hey, new songs from Lin-Manuel Miranda. So woohoo. Uh, Woodstock 99. I remember reading reports out of that festival, like, because I was, a, I, I think I've got, where's my shit? Yeah, there we go. Woodstock 94 tapes right behind me. Fucking love those Woodstock 94 uh, tapes. And I remember like, oh yeah, I can't wait to go to Woodstock. It's going to be awesome. And then when I was 15, like around the time where you start dreaming of being able to go to these kinds of festivals, right? It was just like anarchy. The headlines, like, you know, crazy fights. And um, I feel like people were raped at Woodstock 99. Like, shit, like there was, it was just lawlessness in, in the mud. Uh, so I am kind of curious about that documentary, even though it sounds like fucking hell on earth. Um, Val, that Val Kilmer documentary went over very, very well at Cannes. I thought the trailer was excellent. Kind of, I think I teared up watching the trailer, but I've, I've heard this is very emotional, but also funny. And uh, it'll be interesting whether that movie, I don't know, gets any like a real awards consideration at the end of the year. Cause you know, the documentaries that, that get nominated, they're not typically like actor vanity projects. They're usually about, you know, Rwandan genocide and fucking shit like that. But I don't know, I haven't really seen this kind of a rapturous response to, to one of these types of, of documentaries. You know, it's not like the De Palma documentary got something like this, or even, you know, I love the Spielberg documentary, but that was HBO. We've got a trailer for Jolt with Kate Beckinsale, female empowerment, females kicking ass. You've never seen this before, by the way. Uh, I love that every female driven action movie, it's like supposed to be revolutionary. like. This has been going on for a long time, just to be clear. Um, but yeah, this one's really wearing its its woke card on its sleeve. I, I didn't really care for the trailer at all. Kate Beckinsale also kind of unrecognizable. Um, yeah. Beckett's got a trailer. This is John David Washington on the run in Greece. Big conspiracy. He's the American. Uh, decent cast here. Alicia Vikander, Vicky Creeps. Um, and Boyd Holbrook. But, you know, the trailer didn't excite me all that much. It was originally called Born to be Murdered. Not sure that was the greatest title, but I don't think Beckett is, is really much better. Uh, but again, you know, as, as a little Netflix bonus, sure, you know, I, I would probably give it a watch. I just am not sold on John David Washington as like the next big thing. I mean, this was a guy who was like, you know, he was decent on Ballers and then he was good in, in Black Clansman. But even that movie, I think, really worked because of Spike Lee. Um, and I didn't even think it worked that much. I mean, I thought it was overrated. And then Tenet, he did not work for me at all. Like, I'm just, even, yeah, Malcolm Marie. Uh, I don't know how big a John David Washington guy I am. Like, he, he's being heralded as the savior, but. I'm not seeing it. I'll still put my eggs in the Michael B. Jordan basket any day. Because uh, he's, he's a great actor. Don't Breathe 2 trailer. This is like, you know, the Terminator where you take the bad guy and now all of a sudden he's 
the hero. I mean, there's some really cool stuff in this trailer, though. Like, I, I, I like, I really like the original movie. Um, like when the, you know, he, he, like the waves come and he's like has his hand out there waiting for the waves to reach him, the or the ripples and like the, the puddle or whatever. And that and that helps him see. I don't know. It, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see Stephen Lang back in that role, even though they're sort of changing the nature of the game this time around. Uh, yeah, and a bunch of TV stuff. So What If debuted a, its official trailer. This is like the Marvel animated series. I'm not a big Marvel guy. I'm not a big animation guy, but this does actually look like a lot of fun. I just wish that Marvel had sort of played with the animation styles a bit, much like um, Love, Death, and Robots. That is what it is. Is it Love, Sex, and Robots? I don't even know. Uh, now I gotta fix that. The article. Fuck. I think. Fuck. Anyways, uh, Mr. Corman, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt Apple Show, finally got a trailer. Just take a look at the logline, folks. So the logline's like it mentions like his posture. It's like this like twee little. I mean, I've, I've seen six episodes of the show and it's under embargo, so I'm not really allowed to talk about it. But this is this is what I'll say to you about this show. I'm going to say with my eyes. Yeah. So, so, so if you're just listening to this, get the video version of this podcast. Sign up for Insider Plus because my eyes just told you everything you need to know about Mr. Corman. Uh, yeah. Scenes from a marriage. Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. We didn't really, you know, get too much. It was really just Oscar Isaac telling his kid, singing sing his kid a song or telling him a bedtime story, whatever the fuck it was. But like, you know, it, you can see, you know what this is going to be. This is going to be Chastain and, and Oscar Isaac having knockdown, drag out fights in their bedroom, moving to the living room, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I, I'm stoked to see those two actors go head to head and I'm sure it'll be very, very good, but um, you know what you're getting here, right? And that is coming out in September, a little bit sooner than I would have expected. I feel like this, that whole project moved very quickly, but I guess when you're just you know yelling at each other in a room, it can't take that long to shoot. All right, we've got a few minutes left in the show. Let's just do some mailbag questions. Dustin Mason writes in and says, Hey, Jeff, just want to ask if you've heard any news about the David O. Russell movie. Will it even be released this year? What is it really about? What is it? Uh, what if it does? Do, uh, if what, And if it does come, I don't, do you think David O. Russell will be officially canceled by Twitter? LOL. And if he's still this bad to work with, how did he have such a stacked cast? Also, do you think the PTA movie is going to announce more cast members? Because I remember early on it was described as another huge ensemble like Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Uh, Dustin, I am sure that the PTA movie definitely has some other uh, surprises up its sleeve. Um, because we don't know too many cast members at the moment, right? Beyond like fucking who? Bradley Cooper and Cooper Hoffman and Hame or something? Like, is that it? So I think that you're right, that, that we could definitely be getting some more PTA stuff as we get marketing materials for that, you know, whether it's a poster or a trailer or whatever. I'm sure that the cast list will, will reveal some cool stuff. As far as David O. Russell goes, Guy's a difficult director. What do you want me to say? Like, you know, I, 
I don't understand why directors all have to be these nice fucking people. Like, you know, everyone has their own style. They does they they do what works for them. I don't really give a fuck if Lily Tomlin got called the C word or got yelled at. I mean, first of all, no no director should have to invoke that kind of language, right? On a set, uh, you've lost control of the set if you do have to do that. But like, I'm not going to hold it against David O. Russell because he called Lily Tomlin the C word. Like, all I care about as a consumer is is the movie good? You know, did, did he push her to a place where he got a great performance out of Lily Tom? And did that benefit the work and whatever it is? Like, that's all I care about is the work. Um, so, and, and here's, the, here's the dirty little truth, okay? And people can say whatever the fuck they want on the record. They don't give a fuck. No, the stars do not give a shit. Do you think any of them fucking looked at that footage from, from that movie and Lily Tomlin being yelled at or whoever it was and were like, oh, I never want to work with this guy again. He sounds, he sounds like an asshole. They don't. They look at the movies that he makes and they say, oh, this guy is a really good storyteller. I want to be a part of his next project. Nobody fucking cares. You're, okay, people lose their tempers on, on movies. I lose my temper on the phone or in the emails. Does that make me toxic? I mean, I'm losing my temper for a reason. David o, and maybe David O. Russell didn't have a good reason, okay? I know I do. I don't just fly off the handle. I fly off the handle when there's fucking incompetence, okay? And you'd think that these publicists out there, like, like they've never heard the F word before. Oh my God, my poor ears. Like, give me a fucking break. Like, you're getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do your job. And I expect you to do it a little bit better than it's done. And so that's why I know I've flown off the handle of people. I don't, I don't do it nearly as much as I did in my 20s because I've mellowed out and I've learned to not sweat the small stuff and just let shit go. But like, clearly this cast has let the David O. Russell stuff go. I don't know why, film, the, film Twitter is the only people who like, you know, it, it's just crazy. Like it, it just, it's, everything sticks to you and, and they will not let you forget. It. And that is film Twitter's number one fucking strength is, hey, we have the screenshots and the receipts to prove it to show what you did. You were an asshole five, 10 years ago. Like I can, you know what? My heart goes out to David O. Russell. I sympathize with the guy. And I know that I maybe have that reputation as, as this problematic asshole who sympathizes with these guys, but I'm not, you know, David O. Russell made some mistakes. He maybe had a bad day. Maybe his fucking cat died that morning. I don't know. You don't fucking know. All I know is his movies are, are usually pretty good. Um, so that answers that, Dustin. I hope, I hope that was helpful. Will Drowdulous asked, hey, Jeff, I was curious if you think we will ever see films again from directors like Francis Ford Coppola and Oliver Stone or even younger guys who feel like they've disappeared like Spike Jones or Bennett Miller. I forget if I asked this one, uh, if I read this question last week. I don't think that I did. I think it kind of plays exactly into the David O. Russell question where it's like, Oliver Stone is probably considered one of these toxic filmmakers, right? You know, who, who like comes out of this other age and isn't woke or whatever. And he's going to give you his controversial opinions and, or, or just make people feel uncomfortable. But Oliver Stone is one of the greats. Obviously, Francis Ford Coppola is one of the greats. And the reason that these guys, I don't think, I mean, they, they may want to make movies again. I know Francis Ford Coppola is trying to do you know, that, that fucking Megalopolis movie, like that's never gonna fucking happen. He's not gonna get 75, $80 million to make that movie. Who would give him that money? But these guys, like they don't wanna, 
like they're very set in their ways and confident in their own legacies and and yeah why would they want to just go like be someone's bitch you know and fall in line like that's not how they became the great ones that they are um so do i think that we will see films again from oliver stone maybe maybe like something like uh the capone movie that um that J josh trank did like i could see oliver stone going and do doing something like that i think oliver stone in particular is very comfortable working within like the documentary format and he's going to continue to revisit jfk and, and cuba and all these things that interest him vietnam you know coppola has other shit going on in his wine business <coughs> I don't really get the sense from Coppola that the, the, the drive is the same. You know, he like, you know, restored the Cotton Club and, and, and stuff like that. And so maybe he'll go back and, you know, he just did the, the Godfather Three Coda thing, but he feels like a tinkerer and, and not someone who, who really wants to wade back into the original movie waters. Spike Jones, I'm sure when Spike Jones has, a, has the right idea he will have no shortage of suitors lining up to finance that idea for him. Um, but yeah, this is a guy who also has like, you know, a multitude of interests you know, he just did the Beastie Boys story documentary. Like, you know, a lot of people just like working, do, doing that, uh, you know, non scripted stuff. Now Bennett Miller, I think this guy's an, an incredible director. I love Foxcatcher. I love Moneyball. I don't know what he's up to. He, he's just a very secretive kind of quiet guy. Doesn't sign on to a lot of things in development. Um, so yeah, I'm sure he will return. It's just, he has to find the right, he's either writing something now or has to find the right thing that, that, that strikes his fancy. Um, I think we'll probably end it there. Mailbag got a little bit heated. Uh, you know, anytime you're, you're, you're bringing up the C word and you know, I, I, I get it, but um, David O. Russell, not the world's nicest guy, but I, I don't think that talent should stop working with him. It's just, we got, we got to get over that stuff. We, I mean, come on, especially when you see what's really going on in this industry with some of the sexual predators out there and the people who, who use their power to just do horrible shit. I'm not talking about calling a woman a name. I'm talking about like stripping her of her career and her dignity, you know? Um, yeah. And, and uh, I'm sure, I don't know if, I, I believe that David O. Russell apologized for that incident, but you know, th that's obviously per, you know, per personal and private stuff between him and, and Lily Tom. I don't expect that she'll ever work for him again necessarily, but that's the thing you let you live and you learn. That'll do it for the Snyder Cut this week. Thank you for watching and bearing with me. I know it probably wasn't my my, my best show. Uh, I'm just all over the place this week, guys. Trying to get back to LA. I'll keep you posted. Until then, stay safe. Enjoy the summer. Bye.